Listener supported. WNYC Studios. We were sitting around the campfire after a concert, and Pauline was listening to the frogs. She's been fascinated with frogs since she was a little kid. And she was riveting back at them and drinking beer and burping back at them and listening to them and phasing with them and adjusting to their multiphonics and to the rhythmic patterns. And this is the way that she went through the world, listening, shaping, taking in, constantly transforming, constantly giving back, and constantly widening the spaces that we inhabit. Pauline was always shaping music. There was no distinction between what she was hearing in the outside world and what she was constructing in her compositional imagination. Okay, before we dive right into today's show, last week on the show, we were talking about the role of the performer, this sort of strange intermediary who exists to kind of guide the listener through a piece. And I had a little bit of a weird realization about my whole relationship to music, specifically the fact that I derive maybe like 80% of my entire understanding and enjoyment of a piece being on the inside of it, performing it. I'm almost like a shitty audience member or like a jealous one. I want to inhabit music. Actually, today's episode is designed as a kind of sequel to last week's episode. So if you haven't listened, go back and do it. Go. When we were performing Bliss... There was more than one time that I looked over to see my fellow musicians and saw them literally weeping as they were playing their instruments, just completely overwhelmed with the power of what we were doing. Because if you're doing it as a performer, it's a life experience, it's not the piece. <laughs> I kind of look at it as a beautiful side effect. Side effect, side effect, side effect, side effect, side I was just thinking, like, in my life... Um, I don't listen to a lot of music, like in my spare time, almost all of the music that I participate in is as a performer. And like, in a, in a way, none of it was designed to be experienced that way. It's kind of weird that I'm like experiencing it all wrong or something, or like from the wrong side of the TV set. Um, I don't know, it's just strange to me that my entire experience of music um, is is like... Unintended. So that's where we left off. And I, I was actually really freaking out about this. Music is my life. Am I doing it wrong? So I was talking to one of my producers about this. 
Yeah. So introduce yourself, man. <laughs> right. My name is Mead Bernard. And he started talking about the fact that not all music uses this structure, this composer, performer, audience thing. There's some stuff that manages to completely avoid that entire system. I mean, think about like communal music making, right? Like, if you've ever like sung in a chant in a protest or like a hymn in a church. And that's like old school music making, right? Like this is what like cavemen were doing, like sitting in a circle, like grunting at each other or whatever. And I mean, if you really want to get into this, um, we have to talk about Pauline. So Mead is talking about Pauline Oliveros and the anonymous lady at the beginning of this episode. I'm Claire Chase. That was actually flutist Claire Chase. I'm a flutist and member of the International Contemporary Ensemble. And she was also talking about Pauline. Mead was telling me this story. I was 14 years old. It was, it was kind of the first week I ever started to think of myself as a composer. I was the first summer that I attended this place called the Walden School, which is this awesome camp for young composers in the mountains of New Hampshire. And the first week I was there, that first summer, Pauline was there all week. And her way of thinking about music and about sound was just like so out of left field for me. Pauline sort of tears down all the structures that you sort of take for granted and says to just sit and listen. And that even the act of just like sitting and listening is itself a creative experience. We spent the week in these workshops where Pauline would guide us through these sonic meditations, um, which sometimes involved creating sound and sometimes were just listening exercises. A lot of the time it was just sort of finding an interesting space to sort of be, trying to take in all of the loudest and quietest sounds that are close to you and far away and just listen to them all at once. And then there were also these guided meditations of creating sound, um, these sort of very simple text instructions pieces that she would guide us through of sort of just singing a note and then listening to someone else's note. Just sort of breathing audibly and having your breath itself be this like musical act that you were doing with other people. I love this story of Meads. And after we talked about this, I decided that Pauline was just absolutely the person I needed to talk to about my whole performer, audience, composer issue. So we set up an interview with Pauline, had it in the books and everything. And right before it was supposed to happen, my calendar got kind of mucked up and we had to reschedule. Then, tragically, Pauline passed away before we could actually conduct this interview. Pauline was an incredible creative force in the world, someone whose influence can be felt in so many different pockets of the music world, and somebody whose music I had just begun to crack into. So this episode, it's kind of an homage to her. We didn't set out to make a memorial episode, and that's not quite what this is even, but we really felt we needed to honor her in some ways. Pauline was kind of magic, making composers and performers out of everyone. And that feeling that I loved so much, of inhabiting the music, living inside of it, that feeling I couldn't help worrying was kind of an accident. She makes music 
in that space. So we spoke with some people who were close with Pauline. I'm John Luther Adams, and I'm a composer. I'm Claire Chase. I actually have known Pauline my entire life. My name is Peter Swenson. I'm a professor at the Oberlin Conservatory of Music, I, and I was a student of Pauline's at Mills College. You could say was an original deep listening baby because my mother was in her extended vocal techniques group at UCSD when she was pregnant with me. As I understood it, her practice of deep listening was grounded in two modes of listening. Pauline famously pioneered what she called deep listening, a kind of sonic mindfulness. Um, What she called focal attention, which was listening to the deeper resonances within ourselves, and global attention, which was trying to listen to everything around us all the time. She she would always have comments about the length the, the the duration of a of a musical idea and more often than not she would challenge us to to take more time with a thought and I think that this was this is something that she embodied in her deep listening practice she sat down with us you know, a group of adults who've played her music now for 20 years and taught us again how to listen and how to slow down and reminded us what she said all along and what she has embodied in in just everything that she's touched, which is that listening is who we are. Listening forms the basis of our creativity and of our culture and communities of people, how they listen, form the culture that they create. There was always a fine line with Pauline between when one thought she might be sleeping during a concert and when one thought she might be listening deeply. And regardless of which was the case, she was always hearing more than anybody else in the room. And so you would have these experiences of being in an event with her, kind of looking over in the middle and thinking, oh, she's, you know, she looks so peaceful and and sleepy. And then the event would be over and she'd be like, remember that thing that happened about 42 minutes in when the trumpet did this and there was that recording from the crickets and then this particular interaction happened and you'd have no idea because you hadn't heard anything nearly that detailed as she had. All right. Please join me right here, right now in welcoming an inspiring composer, writer, artist, philosopher, and human being, John Cage. Years ago, at the Skywalker Ranch, George Lucas's big production facility in Northern California, 
there was a, a gathering, an invited conference of composers and movie sound designers. Pauline and I were sitting together when Cage made his presentation. Uh, following Cage's presentation, there was this discussion that grew more and more heated. And from my point of view, more and more ridiculous. And I kept, I'm sitting right next to Paulina, she was on my left, and I keep turning and kind of looking at her, and she was there with her eyes closed and this beatific smile on her face, just looking like the Buddha. And I'm getting increasingly hotter with all this highfalutin bullshit that's being, you know, being thrown out. And it went on and on and on, escalated and escalated, and my blood pressure did too. Pauline sat there. So it finally ended, and I turned to Pauline, and I said that was excruciating. I've never heard such nonsense. How could you sit there like, like the Buddha? And she said, oh, I wasn't listening to, the, to, to what they were saying. I wasn't listening to their words. I was listening to the way sound travels in this room, this beautiful reflection back here. And, you know, she, she started describing to me in great detail the sonic topography of the space in which we were listening. Pauline was listening deeply. I was listening superficially. She said in a composition seminar once that, you know, composers should be the ones sound designing cities. She was talking about the sounds that dump trucks make when they back up and ambulances make and crosswalk signals make and saying, why aren't composers being the, the people who make those sounds so that a city can be a composed soundscape? From the outset of composing now, I'm thinking not only about what the instruments are and what the sounds might be, but in a very fundamental way about where the sounds are. The physical, acoustical sounding space has become a fundamental compositional element. She was really one of the pioneers of electronic music both in her technical skills and advancement of the technology itself and her creative use of that technology. She was one of the first people to sample existing music in a piece of her own in Bye Bye Butterfly. She was one of the first people to work with physical tape loops in a studio. One of the first people to use analog synthesizers. One of the first people to combine tape loops. 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 Tape
and analog synthesizers. One of the first people to do live processing of a solo instrument through electronics. One of the first people to use field recordings. One of the first people to do serious study of just intonation and other tuning systems and how that could be achieved both acoustically and through electronics. So she is really one of the pioneers of our field. Electronic music is not the field that it is today without her. This blows my mind. I had no idea that one person, that a woman, was responsible for creating so many elements that shaped the face of modern music. So, to take our conversation all the way back to what my producer Mead was talking about earlier in the episode, Pauline wrote a bunch of pieces early in her life called Sonic Meditations, pieces that effectively erase the composer-performer audience divide. And we found some tape in the WNYC radio archive of Pauline talking about these works. I had been doing these sonic meditations in California uh, since about 1970. The way it came about, I think, was uh, kind of prompted by my experience of the Vietnam War. I was at UCSD, where I taught for 14 years, and there was a student who immolated himself as a protest of the war. Uh, there was the assassination of Robert Kennedy and Martin Luther King. All of this was going on. It was affecting me very deeply. The world comes closer to the brink of cosmic disaster. But um, I began to kind of turn inward and begin listening in a new way for me. This uh, was searching uh, for the for the meaning of the sound, the, the uh, effect of sound and tones uh, on my own mind body. So I began to play long tones and listen, and uh, it would change my uh, my consciousness and uh, and my physicality. So uh, that led me eventually to, to start making instructions. In 1974, Pauline published her instructions together under the title Sonic Meditations. These were pieces that consisted of just a few fragments of text. Choose one word. Dwell silently on this word. When you are ready, explore every sound in this word extremely slowly, repeatedly. Gradually, imperceptibly, bring the word up to normal speed. Then continue until you are repeating the word as fast as possible. Continue at top speed until it stops. In the introduction to these sonic meditations, 
It's written, Pauline Oliveros has abandoned composition performance practice as it is usually established today for sonic explorations, which include everyone who wants to participate. She attempts to erase the subject-object or performer-audience relationship by returning to ancient forms which preclude spectators. She is interested in communication among all forms of life through sonic energy. She is especially interested in the healing power of sonic energy and its transmission within groups. It means the world to me in 2017. And incidentally, well, I'll say first of all, on the topic of listening, <laughs> learning how to listen to one another in 2017 in this broken and distressed world is the single most important thing that we can do. Not just to survive, but to be the shapers of our culture and to transform our reality. We cannot transform our reality unless we listen to it and see it and feel it and acknowledge it for all of its brokenness. And in order to do that, we need to, we need to slow and we need to sit with all of those sounds and with all of that pain and take responsibility for the transformation of it. And Pauline, again, embodied this more completely and committedly than any artist that I know. A little over a month ago, to kind of honor her and to really experience her work the way she intended it, on Inauguration Day, actually, Meet the Composer decided to stage one of these meditations at the Fuente Duena Chapel at the Cloisters, which is a kind of museum made up of pieces of European churches plunked down in a park in Upper Manhattan. To get there, you have to take like a 10-minute walk through the park. So you kind of approach this castle, is really the only word for it, with like weird bits of chapels kind of stapled to it and a big bell tower jutting out the top. When you step inside, it immediately smells like a church, but with a kind of perfumey humidity that comes from the plants and flowers that grow in the cloistered gardens littered throughout the building. The chapel itself is impressive, beset with Christian imagery that looks kind of stretched out, like it was painted by Modigliani or something. About 150 people showed up, and they all took seats on the ground and in a couple of chairs sprinkled around the perimeter of the room. This kind of amazing contemplative silence settled into the room as we all prepared to participate in this meditation together. This meditation is training for the rest of your life. This is something that we're going to do together here. Okay, so if I can just, like, put you in my brain right now, I am really nervous about leading this thing because I've never met Pauline. 
I've never even participated in one of these meditations before. And the instructions, they're incredibly succinct. I'm a little bit worried that I'm going to do it wrong. That this entire room full of people who are here to sort of participate in what is meant to be an incredibly, like, cathartic thing, that they're going to feel let down. That this piece isn't going to be what it needs to be. Pauline said, listen to everything all the time and remind yourself when you are not listening. So, this is weird. I'm asking you to do something wrong. These pieces, as we've discussed, they're not meant to have an audience. That's the whole thing. They're participatory. But what I'm about to do is to play you a recording of a performance, which, you know, that makes you the audience. And that's kind of against the spirit of the thing. So I'm just going to suggest that you think about performing it. Put yourself in that space, surrounded by strangers, surrounded by friends. The instructions are simple. Inhale deeply, exhale on the note of your choice. Listen to the sounds around you and match your next note to one of them. On your next breath, make a note no one else is making. Repeat. Call it listening out loud. And let's inhale.
This episode of Meet the Composer was produced by Nadia Sirota, Alex Overington, and Mead Bernard, with help from Hannes Brown and John Hanrahan. Our executive producer is Alex Ambrose. Thanks to our guests, John Luther Adams, Claire Chase, and Peter Swenson, to the WNYC Radio Archives, and to the many attendees of our event at the Cloisters. Um, you know, at first you're thinking a lot, but before long you're just listening. I think the amount... I think Pauline Oliveris was really, really smart to give the, those very, very simple instructions that forced you to listen differently with each breath. The recording engineers for our tuning meditation at the Cloisters were Ed Haber and George Wellington. Special thanks to our in-house Q2 Sonic Meditation Choir, consisting of Hannes Brown, Melissa Foster, Marin Lazian, Helga Davis, and Alex Ambrose. Um, it felt so good to participate in an activity that was very political but also very outside of um, American politics but just sort of the universal politics of listening to each other and um, contributing my own voice but also listening to other people's voices it was uh, yeah, a very meditative experience so sometimes you were leading, sometimes you were following sometimes it went with you and sometimes it didn't it's such a beautiful experience to follow all that just evolution thanks to the Met Museum General Manager for Concerts and Lectures, Limor Tomer and the entire staff of the Met Museum. You lose all sense of time. And I have to say that was the fastest 20 minutes I have ever experienced. And you just kind of become one with the sound. And the most beautiful. That's really cool. Thanks to the Tamara Department at the Oberlin Conservatory of Music for graciously lending us their facilities and expertise. Peter Swenson, Tom Lopez, and John Talbert. And thanks to Richard Reed Perry and Eric Heigel. One of the most fantastic experiences, especially in a large group like this, was hearing my own note that I introduced worm its way across the room. So I, as I stopped singing, I could hear the note that I just contributed be passed on, by taken up by someone else and passed around the room. And that's such a satisfying experience that, like, oh, my decision contributed in some way to this. And then, of course, I'm doing the same thing to everyone else's notes and just the, the kind of reinforcing each other's decisions is a, a beautiful thing. It's fascinating to let go and say, well, what is the group saying right now? And what's my role as a cog in the wheel? And the composer mindset is a high and lonely destiny. We all want to write Moby Dick. You know, we all want to write the unfinished symphony. We'd rather finish it. But, you know, uh, and it's just, I think it's, it's looking at the process of ego in a whole different way, in a very, very healthy, useful way. I do not believe that we are done with composers, but I think to be reminded that there are other processes that also give rise to fabulous things. Thanks to New Music USA for their flexibility with the use of the Meet the Composer name, which became famous through their legacy organization founded by composer John Duffy. This has been super healing and really, really amazing. Thank you. In the context of an inauguration day, it was a totally diverse group of people who've never met one another, came together and with no instruction, just a framework, and with no rehearsal, created total harmony. <laughs>